Proverbs chapter 21. Look at verse 25 and 26 with me and then look down at verse 31. Verse 25, we read the desire of the sluggard puts him to death for his hands refuse to work all day long. He is craving while the righteous gives and does not hold back. And then verse 31, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. There has been some discussion in our culture, particularly in business circles, but even more broadly beyond business circles as well as to whether a person makes their own success in life or not. Do we make our own success? There have been some different perspectives taken uh, from this in our culture. One was the book Outliers written by Malcolm Gladwell. This still feels like a relatively new book to me, but it was actually published about 11 years ago. I'm getting old. In this book, Malcolm Gladwell makes the case that success comes from many separate factors outside of our own control. And so success or blessing many times is beyond individual control. He, he, he began pursuing this thesis because he was interested in what makes people successful. How do you get a, a Bill Gates? And he was dissatisfied with the articles that generally tended to be written about Bill Gates and his success. It usually was, well, you have to look at the individual. You have to see how smart Bill Gates is and how hard Bill Gates works. But Gladwell found that, found that thesis um, a bit simple because he said, I know lots of people who are smart. And I know lots of people who work hard and they're not worth 60 billion dollars. How do you explain something like Bill Gates? So he began looking at it and um, some of his famous illustrations come early in the book when he looks at um, hockey players in Canada and soccer players in places like Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic. And um, it, it was discovered one time by somebody who does a lot of statistics that when you looked at the rosters of the uh, junior leagues that feed into the professional ranks of hockey players, there was this outlying statistic. That's hence the title outliers. That there was there was an anomaly here. And that is when they looked at the rosters, they realized that 40 percent of all professional hockey players were born in the months of January, February and March. Now, statistically, you would expect that hockey players born in those months would represent about 25 percent, a quarter of the hockey population. And when they looked at the latter months in November, December, they found that as little as 10 percent. And they said, how can this be? How, how can it be that professional hockey players uh, who make it to the top levels are are skewed to the beginning months. Well, it has to do with how Canadian hockey, according to Gladwell, uh, organized their youth hockey. And that the cutoff date is January 1 of any given year. And so that what happens is that kids that are born in the early part of the year are uh, more developed oftentimes than kids that are, quote unquote, the same age, but are born at the end of the year, back in November, December. So sorry, kids. If you're born in November, December, you've got an uphill climb, apparently, if you want to play professional hockey. Just give that to you. Well, what Gladwell begins to theorize is that what happens is it's not that kids born 
in January through March are magically just more gifted at the game of hockey than kids at the end of the year, but that what happens is they're more developed, and so because they're more developed, they get more playing time. And the more playing time, they become a little bit better than others. And when it comes time for picking the all-stars, well, guess who gets picked? It's the kids who tend to be a little bit more developed. And so they get more time and more opportunities. And so Gladwell goes on and he goes on and he applies this to Bill Gates, for example. And Bill Gates, um, you know, not just was he uh, smart. He obviously is that he's gifted, but that Bill Gates had opportunities that other people didn't have. And that as Bill Gates uh, was, well, for one thing, Bill Gates happened to be born just between those perfect years. Um, if you were born too early in the programming era, you were doing punch cards. And it was very difficult to be successful uh, programming. You didn't really learn how to program as well as you learned how to proofread, he said. Because if you made one mistake in your proofreading, some of you are nodding, you had to go back through all those punch cards again and find your mistake. And so it helped to be born at a certain period of time in the 1950s. But if you were born too late, well, you missed the boat. It was, it was already well on its way. Also, during that period, there was a very limited number of schools that actually could give you computer time. And Bill Gates happened to live near the University of Washington. He could walk. And now, kids, I'm not recommending this, but Bill Gates would sneak out of the house at two in the morning unawares to his parents, make his way over to the University of Washington where there was this dead time on the computers at the university. Nobody had set those times aside, and so they were open, and Bill Gates would do a lot of programming in the middle of the night. And his mother wondered all these years later why it was so difficult to rouse him from bed for school the next morning. Well, it was because he was coding at the university. The Gladwell goes on to say, if it wasn't for all of those, what we would call providential factors, Bill Gates would never have been Bill Gates. Warren Buffett, of course, one of the most successful investors in American history, tends to side with Gladwell. He said, quote, I won the lottery at birth. I was born in the United States. I was a white male in the 1920s. I had things in my favor. Now, there's been pushback from this theory. And that comes from Peter Thiel. He wrote a book called Zero to One. Peter Thiel was the founder of PayPal. After he sold PayPal, uh, he became the first outside investor in a company known as Facebook. And uh, Peter Thiel uh, is socially liberal, but he is also economically libertarian. And so no surprise that Peter Thiel wants to put his weight on the side of the individual, that the individual's responsible for making their success. He has a chapter in here entitled, maybe pushing back on Gladwell and Buffett, who says, I won the lottery. He says, you're not a lottery ticket. That's one of the chapters in his book. You're not a lottery ticket. Well, so what does the Bible say about this? Why is it that we have kind of these competing worldviews as to what makes uh, for success? What does the Bible say about it, and particularly Proverbs? Which is it? Well, one of the reasons I think that these two sides are grappling here with it is because it is a both and. They're dealing, though they wouldn't call it this, they're dealing with a divine mystery. And the mystery is this, the sovereignty of God in who orders providence and orders the innumerable number of factors that make us who we are, what we do, and where we came from, 
But in addition to that, the Bible also, while emphasizing divine sovereignty over every area of life and all of human history, also emphasizes the role of individual human responsibility before God. And so I want to try and take a stab here tonight at showing what the Bible says about this subject. Now, how do I get that from my text? Let's look at these two different verses that I've picked out. First of all, notice here verse 25 in the text. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving. So Proverbs here is saying what? Well, here is an individual, and he is lazy, full of sloth. And he still has desires and longings and cravings, but because he will not work, he does not have. There seems to be the emphasis on human responsibility. And we've seen that many times in Proverbs, haven't we? I was walking past the sluggard's house, and behold, I saw his field full of thorns and his wall was crumbling, et cetera, et cetera. And we see the emphasis on human responsibility. You would expect that in Proverbs, wouldn't you? This is a book that's written for young men so that young men are trained in wisdom and they know what to do at the appropriate time. So here the sluggard's laziness leaves him craving. Don't be like that. Take responsibility. There's that emphasis. Be responsible for your actions. Then I want you to look at verse 31 as well, though, because there's another truth in the same chapter here. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Now, what is being said here? Well, it seems to be suggesting that even if you do everything, quote unquote, right, and the horse is prepared and you are ready for the battle and you have done everything that you are Supposed to do, you've done your duty. Victory and the outcome still belongs to God. Success is ultimately still the Lord's. So I want to suggest to you that the Bible here emphasizes both truths. And we don't necessarily have to pit one view against another. The Bible emphasizes our responsibility as human beings made in the image of God who have been given certain duties and we are expected to perform those duties. At the same time, it is God who governs everything and it is God who ultimately makes men what they are. He is sovereign over everything without any culpability for our sin. Well, let me show you this from various other places. Let's continue to stay in Proverbs just for a little bit. And I want to move you elsewhere. Turn with me a page or two in your Bible to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. Five and six. Proverbs 24, five and six. A wise man is strong and a man of knowledge increases in power. For by wise guidance, you will wage war and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. So what is the emphasis here? Well, the emphasis with, with regard to our responsibility is we should seek wisdom. Buy wisdom and do not sell it, Proverbs says elsewhere. Wise men will gain more knowledge. Knowledge leads to power. Young men, listen. Get wisdom, therefore. Study. Be wise. We see in the history 
of Israel. Abigail was a wise woman. She saved herself and her family from destruction by dealing wisely with David, going over her husband's head in a time of crisis. In Proverbs chapter 24, later in that same chapter, in verse 30, what I quoted here in passing, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. And I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. And here's the lesson, boys and girls. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. Here again, the idea that laziness will lead to poverty. And yet, what else do we know? Job, one of the most industrious of men, was brought to poverty by the providence of God, wasn't he? It wasn't due to laziness, but it was due to calamity that God had ordained for him. Same with Naomi. Naomi goes out full into the land of Moab. She loses a husband. She loses both her sons. And she comes back a poor and broken widow with only Ruth. We see the sovereign hand of God. Proverbs chapter 23. We see God controls how much we end with in, in keeping. Look at Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. That is, don't do injury to your, your health and your strength and to your marriage and to your children by trying to get rich. Don't make that your priority because why? When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. You make, you make riches your idol and you, you neglect your wife and your wife leaves you and what does she get? She gets half of it. More. It's gone. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. So it is God in the end who controls how much you, you end up keeping. Ecclesiastes um, has, after the book of Proverbs here, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 2 through 6, I think is instructive as well on this topic. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 2 says, divide your portion to seven and even or even to eight. So here, here's your plug, David, ever for diversification, chase all diversify. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth, whether the tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind or how the bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. So here the emphasis of you need to be responsible you need to divide your portions, divide your assets, have some diversity. You don't know what's going to happen. No, no man can predict what may occur tomorrow. And yet we are told in verse six, sow your seed in the morning. Do not be idle in the evening. You don't know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed. So we, we are to take responsibility for our actions, but in recognition that God ultimately is sovereign. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, God 
raises up David, we are told this is the great scene where uh, Nathan comes and he confronts David because of his sin with Bathsheba. Second Samuel, chapter 12. And. Nathan says to David in verse seven, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. Now, how did David become king? The Lord chose him. What was David doing? David, David was where? Yeah, he was out with the sheep. He was watching over the sheep. Now, David was being faithful. David was doing what he was supposed to do. He, he was meditating on the Lord while he was out there. He was writing psalms. He, he uh, defending the sheep from the lion, from the bear that would serve him well later when he meets Goliath. But clearly the Lord is saying, but I'm the one who made you king. I'm the one who called you. So David was humanly responsible for what God had given him to do. And God raised him up. And you could make the case had David not been faithful. That God would not have raised David up. But also you can't just say, well, simply because David was faithful. That he had to become king. The Lord was the one who put him there. He said, I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, he says, I would have added to you many more things. So notice here, David would have gotten even more blessings except for his irresponsibility. He says, why have you despised the word of the Lord doing that which is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So, David, you did these things. They were evil. You did them secretly. And I'm going to punish you publicly. You slept secretly with another man's wife, and I will, before the eyes of Israel, cause another to sleep with your wives. You killed Uriah secretly. The sword is never going to leave your home publicly. So it was God who raised David up. But here again, in the mystery of it all, David's personal sin and irresponsibility led to his own sorrows and the judgments of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 and following, we see that the Lord says to Israel that it was he who gave them success in the land. It wasn't because they were the greatest nation in the earth. It wasn't because they looked like a winning horse and he needed to put his money down on, on, on the horse that he thought would succeed. In many ways, they were the least of nations. But here he tells them, even though he has given them responsibility, even though he's given them this great wealth, they still have the responsibility to abstain from idolatry if they want to continue to enjoy it. He says, beware that you do not forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. He says, otherwise, when you have eaten and you are satisfied and you have built good houses and you lived in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, he says, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
So what what is he warning? What's Moses warning them that when they enjoy all the blessings of God, that they watch out, and they not fall into idolatry. They leave the Lord, their God. He said in the in the wilderness, verse 16, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, listen to this now, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. So it's not just the individual. But the blessing of God. But nevertheless, they are responsible to remember the Lord their God so that they might continue in these blessings. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about that if ever you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, then I testify against you today that you will surely perish. So there it is. God raised them up. God blessed them. God made Israel a prosperous people by the hand. And and yet they have this responsibility before God. And if they forsake God, they will lose everything they have. Did they make their own success? Well, God was the one who raised them up. They certainly lost it, didn't they? They certainly lost the success they had because of their idolatry. We need to remember that, too, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? We need to realize that not everybody has the same advantages, do, don't we? It's God who has made men what they are. And see, the thing is, it's not... Um, success needs to be measured, boys and girls, in faithfulness. Not everybody is given the same proportion of talents and, and gifts. And in God's economy, it is not, you know, he who has the most, but he who did the most with what he was given. Does that make sense? Is the, the, the person that is rewarded the most highly is the person who is faithful to do with what God had given them. So that the person with little talent, who is very faithful, is rewarded more highly than the person who was given many talents and less faithful. One more chapter, and then I bring it to a conclusion. Um, This one is just an interesting study in in divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Acts 27. Uh, This is the chapter where the Apostle Paul is finally being taken to Rome by way of a ship. And I want to pick up at verse 9. Acts 27, verse 9. Now here, the remember, they're trying to get to Rome. But there's a problem. And the problem is that it's getting late in the year. And the weather gets worse in the Mediterranean as you get closer to winter. So in verse 9, Acts 27, 
when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to the men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. So Paul says, guys, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think this is wise. I think we ought to just wait it out here. But here, the the centurion who's uh, in charge decides not to go with Paul, but to go with the captain of the ship. So they make a decision. Here we see that wisdom is not always to be found in the majority. You have a dissenting voice and the dissenting voice ends up being right here. He says, because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, verse 12, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. And so they go on and they. They get out and they follow on Crete. And then suddenly, of course, this great wind comes and the ship is caught and they're in trouble. And, and it goes on uh, to describe all the problems. Now, get down to verse 21 of that same chapter. And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, now, this is interesting. Men, you ought to have followed my advice. <laughs> OK, so he reminds them. That it was their foolishness that has led to the current mess that they're in. Their responsibility. Okay, you should have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Human responsibility. But yet now I urge you to keep up your courage for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong And whom I serve stood before me, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. And so the apostle here is saying what he has been told. This is the second time now, at least that the Lord has personally told Paul that he was going to stand Before Caesar in Rome, he's going to go to Rome and so they're going to Rome. But on the way, Paul says the way we're going about it is not good. This isn't not wise. You ought to listen to me. They don't listen and they get in trouble. They have to jettison everything off of the ship. And but what is we see here in the midst of the irresponsibility? We see, nevertheless, God is going to be faithful to his promise. That Paul is going to get to Rome and because of the importance of that, God will see to it that everybody who is with Paul gets there, too. And that's why Paul says, look, if you go off and you take that little dinghy and you drop that dinghy over the side of the boat and you think you're going to make your escape, you're going to be you're going to perish. God's word will be nullified as far as you. And so. um And I've never really understood, maybe somebody can help me, whether the men listened and just cut. It says that they they cut the boat. And I I, I was assuming that they did so um, not being not in the boat. So Paul is reminding that he had some wisdom, but despite the disaster and their foolishness, God will preserve them alive 
if they stay with the ship, even though they lose everything. So who's right? Do we make our own success or not? Well, let me sum it up this way. Psalm 127 says that success ultimately is up to the Lord. That unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. All the human endeavor in the world cannot succeed unless the Lord brings his blessing upon it. But at the same time, the Bible says, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 to 20, that we must arise and build. Nehemiah looked at the gates, he looked at the walls, and then he went to the leadership of Jerusalem and said, we must build and we must arise. We have been given a responsibility to be faithful in the endeavors that God has called us to. God is absolutely sovereign over history and therefore he is absolutely sovereign over any success or not that we may have. But we are also accountable and responsible for God for the employment of our gifts to the glory of God. We need to do our duty, do what God has called us to do. But when we have done it, we will give all the glory to God. Amen. Let's pray together.